Tell me Coco. Tell me Coco. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to the next installment of the Yummy Coco Show. This is a pop culture variety show for your ear holes with sketches, music, interviews, and games. I'm your host, Yummy Coco, aka Colette Prosper. I'm a comedy writer and filmmaker. On this show, we talk about everything from the sex lives of college girls uh, gets renewed for a second season. Hire me, please. Uh, Justin Noble and Mindy Kalen. I love this show. Um, also, We Are Lady Parts has been renewed. Another wonderful show. See it on Peacock. Uh, you know, Jesse Smollett, his trial continues. China, their lunar rover has spotted a mysterious hut, which is like a uh, cube shaped house on the far side of the moon. Is it? The Little Prince, Le Petit Prince. Uh, is it an alien making its way to claim our trash planet? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Cool, cool. Uh, who knows? Anyway, um, sad news. You know, my thoughts go out to Nick Cannon and the death of his baby son. Absolutely tragic. Really hard. Um, and just uh, absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, but first up, some housekeeping. If you like the show, please rate and review. It's how you can help people to find the show. So this is we're in December. It's um, December 7th right now. Um, this show's coming out on Wednesday. My guest is uh, the wonderful playwright Christina Wong. Uh, check out her show, Christina Wong, Sweatshop Overlord. It's online. You can watch it streaming if you're not in New York City and can't see it live at the uh, New York Theater Workshop. Just go to nytw.org to check it out. I did. It's worth it. It's really great. You have until December 14th. That's Tuesday, December 14th to see it. So check it out. Uh, So in the meantime, uh, for this this holiday month, you know, we're, we're doing the succession of Kim and Pete. Uh, there will be more this holiday season, but for this week, here's a replay of the sketch Cat Daycare Training Day. Sketch. Hello, thanks so much for the opportunity to help take care of cats. My man! Look, today's training day. Let me show you around, give you a taste of the business. Great, I love cats. But you know, I'm gonna keep it real with you. You got today, and today only, to show me who and what you're made of. Okay. 
I supervise five other cat care members. That's five personalities, five sets of problems. You could be number six if you act right. Okay, uh, what do you need me to do? First, to be in cat daycare, you need to like catnip. You don't like catnip? Get the fuck out of my car. Go get you a nice pussy desk job. Chasing bad checks or something, you hear me? Whoa, wait, are, are you quoting lines from Training Day? Hey, hey, you wanna go to jail or you wanna go home? Jail, like, isn't that another line from Training Day? I didn't realize Training Day was gonna be like the movie Training Day. My man! Okay, alright, alright, fine. They are lines from Training Day. But I need to know that you are serious about these cats. In the cat community, we don't see movies. You know, TV shows like Call Me Cat is too new to be iconic. So we use Training Day, basically. All right, I get it, but it's, it's really unnecessary. I just won't take care of cats. Can you just tell me how you take care of these cats without all the random quotes? Well, to take care of cats, um, uh, you gotta be a wolf to catch a wolf. Yeah, that movie quote also doesn't work. Quiet. Yes, it does. I wrote a whole manual using quotes from Training Day, so you're, you're just going to have to deal with it. Is that all right? You can just talk to me like, what kind of cat litter do you use? King Kong ain't got shit on me. Or or wait, wait. Um, Here's another one. You made the decision. Live with your decision. Ain't like I put a gun to your head. Um, no, look, all these quotes don't answer anything. Just more random quotes. You know where you're gonna end up in the gas chamber. You know what the gas chamber smells like? Pine oil. That's where you're headed. Pine oil heaven. Does that work? No, not at all. Well, it's not what you know. It's what you can prove. Yeah, I mean, that was a great moment in the movie. Okay, I got one. Who the fuck you think you're fucking with? I'm the police. I run shit here. You just live here. Oh, my man. All right, you're hired. record so i don't forget sure. um, okay of course and it's just the audio that is recorded not the video sure yeah i'm doing a thing with pbs which is why i'm all made up after I, oh uh, yeah, yeah so we'll we'll get you out on time um yes coco yeah yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it is funny that that you're talking to pbs because um there is something uh, like childlike about, I love your show. It's brilliant. Oh, I'm glad you watched um, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's something sort of like, um, cause I was listening to like Life Kit recently and they were talking about like that Daniel Tiger um, neighborhood. And, uh, but then it, it dovetailed to like the prison system and like, like it, like the, our community at large. And yeah. so it was, it was basically talking about like, you know, your neighbor, people in your neighborhood, knowing your neighborhood. Um, yeah. and that's like the vibe that I got in your show, um, is that like, you know, people don't really give a shit about 
their neighbor anymore. But like you're, you've proven <laughs> that like there are people out there that care that 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 do want to help people in their community. Um, so so I wanted to yeah, talk to I you think a it's something we're celebrating too. in a time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's something we're celebrating in a time where we're always seen as the worst of ourselves come out. Yeah. And for a lot of aunties, they will say one auntie apparently was interviewed for a documentary and she was like, she was asked, have you always been this generous? She's like, no. Like, and <laughs> for a lot of aunties, they were like, they've never been this generous before. They they would have been the freaked out ones. Yeah. After running around scared. But I don't know, this was like some outlet that we've tapped into. Right. And even yeah. how, but let's get started. Yeah. And then yeah. you, you inspired your mom to, to join you. <laughs> her friends and her friends. Yeah. yeah there's a whole it's, story with that too. It's incredible. So, um, you know, awesome. Let's get into my talk with Christina Wong. Um, Christina, welcome. Christina is a performance artist, comedian, writer, a, an elected representative who has been presented, who has presented internationally across North America, the UK, Hong Kong, and Africa. She's won awards, grants. She's been on TV a ton. She's about to, uh, after this interview, she's going to be interviewed by PBS, like, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but more important than that, she once uh, said in an interview that she's seen showgirls over 700 times. So yep. we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> later. Um, her brilliant one-person show, Christina Wong, Sweatshop Overlord, is being presented now at the New York Theater Workshop and is available now to stream until December 14th. Go to nytw.org for tickets. Uh, I saw it on Saturday. It's incredible. It fucked me up but in like in the best way, um, <laughs> because it got me thinking about community, building community while in isolation and about finding ways to be creative during trying times like right now. Um, mm. It's just like really crazy times. Um, and it fucked me up so much that I needed to uh -oh. escape from my mind. So I watched A Castle for Christmas with Brooke Shields to like sort of cleanse my, my palate. <laughs> Because I was like, I need a break. That's the chaser for me is Brooke Shields. That's good yes. to know. <laughs> and Carrie Elways, she like lives in a castle uh -oh, in, in Scotland. You're, you're freezing a little. I don't know if I'm freezing on your end. No, no. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, it, it, I think it'll just record. Okay, great, okay. Yeah, um, so yeah, again, so I want to talk to you about process and radical creativity. Um, you know, but first, like for some context, you know, we're talking at a time when Roe v. Wade is on the line, voter suppression um, is happening, hate crimes are on the rise against Asian people, gay and trans people. You know, we saw Ahmaud Aubrey's killers be found guilty. Um, that was a, a hate crime. Um, you know, there's the Jesse Smollett trial, which, you know, of course, it's a confusing story. And as confusing as it may be, he's being swept up in a system that's doing nothing to combat um, hate crimes, which, you know, again, it's it's on the rise. Mm -hmm. So, um, but your show, what I love about your show is that um, it's not just about mask making and sewing, um, it, it tackles these topics too. Um, and it shows how, you know, despite all the hate in the world, there's also love and community that still exists. So can you talk a little bit about your show? So yeah, it's my, thank you for having me on. Uh, the show is Christina Wong's Sweatshop Overlord, and it was built across this pandemic and premiered off-Broadway in uh, late October, November. So it was a very fast 
process to go from source material, which we are all still living, <laughs> to the show. Uh, basically, on March 20th, I, I we were a week into sort of a lockdown situation. My tour of my other show, Christina Wong for Public Office, was canceled. I was deemed, as most artists are, non-essential. Um, uh. and, <laughs> and that kind of hit me really hard. Like, what have I done with myself? Because I really thought this is the end. And perhaps we are just in a very long rapture, but that is another topic. <laughs> Uh, and I thought, okay, um, I saw my sets and prop pieces for my shows and saw that hospitals were asking for home sewn masks because wearing masks, it's hard for us to remember this moment was a very foreign, strange thing, like walk around with your face covered. That's, that's crazy. And it was very difficult to find masks mm -hmm. to the point that hospitals are like begging sewing groups to sew. And I was like, oh, I have an essential skill. I can help them. So yeah. I, I literally had like a fourth of a yard of fabric. That's not that much fabric. I made this very messy mask. When I look at it, I still have it. It's like the messiest mask. It hurt, <laughs> hurt my ears, right? But I felt so proud of myself. And I very naively offered up to the internet, like, I can sell you a mask if you if you are immunocompromised or, or an essential worker don't have access to it, thinking, okay, 10 or 20 masks, I'll be good. In the span of four days, I was flooded with requests. Yeah. Um, and it it felt like it was, it felt like, is this what emergency response people have to deal with? Because it was like frightening messages from nurses and people with elders in their family. And rightfully so. Like you, you this is it was very question mark, like what is happening? How contagious is this? How can I catch it? And just going to the post office to, to mail these felt like death defying for myself. Yeah. So fraught. Uh, yeah. So fraught. And I, I desperately needed help to, I couldn't stop. I couldn't say no to people. Like, how do you tell someone who's afraid they're going to die? And you're like that link between them and, and their, their possible death that, that you can't help them because you need a take care of yourself and watch Tiger King. Like that, that's, not, <laughs> that's not an option. So I, uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to start a, a casual Facebook group. I really had thought this was only going to be a three week thing. It'll be called the, um, a call to auntie sewing squad. Like this was so fast. This was so fast. I didn't realize your acronym was ass. Yes. Like, this was me, like quickly, <laughs> this was me quickly trying to find some help. But the thing is, everyone needed a mask. So it wasn't like people and no one was sitting on an excess of masks. And at that, no one was sitting. Some people who were joining the group hadn't sewn for a while. People didn't have materials, but people couldn't leave their homes. People didn't want to go to the post office to mail what masks they made. Mm -hmm. So suddenly I was like in this position by default of having made this group of trying to get materials to people, hustling businesses and people on the street for fabric and elastic. I, I did like cash transactions. Just give me some string. Yeah. 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 Gives me some, there's a scene like that where I'm like, <laughs> like it's, it's like a drug deal and, and like, I'm waving it in the face of aunties. Like you want this and so for ass, so hard. And <laughs> ass for ass. But it, that was really, it just became this whole weird gorilla underworld that yeah. it felt like we were running a shadow FEMA. And I had really thought, okay, uh, factory made mask will show up from China in about three weeks. Government will just, will, the government will make sure that everyone gets a mask. None of this happened, yeah, right? No, no. <laughs> I was, I, no. at that time I was tying yeah. a t-shirt yeah. on my face. Yeah. There were all sorts of crazy hacks. There's like a bandana that you could put hair, hair ties in and yes. all of this is like relived in this show that I made. Yeah. Uh, but, but what was really remarkable was how I, this new way of connecting to people who were either tangential friends 
or would be strangers who I would have never met. A lot of these aunties who joined a group by the end of this in our 17 month long life, we had 800, over 800 aunties across 33 states. Wow. We made 350,000 masks, but we also expanded into full on relief bands to the Navajo Nation. Uh, we sent a lot of supplies to Standing Rock and Lakota folks. We sent a lot of relief supplies to migrants arriving at the border. Yeah. And, and it was like, if you were to, well, I don't want to get into this because I feel like then then it, then it just puts money value on our work. But but really, we were if we were all paid as mm -hmm. nonprofit workers, it was you could you could bill us at like millions of dollars in yeah in work. But none of us we were got like an NGO. We were we call ourselves a shadow FEMA, right? Like yeah. in that. Uh, but we were faster than the government. We were faster than most nonprofits mm -hmm. in terms of getting things to people. There were I tell a story of how a rural village rural villages in Alaska. Um, I mean, a lot of this was just very revealing as to how little there was, uh, the little there is, right, in parts of the country. Um, 56 villages uh, in rural Alaska are served by one hospital that only has 22 beds and five yeah. ventilators, and one third of them had COVID. Wow. So, uh, so we, and, and all the supplies they'd been sent, no, they have a major city called Anchorage, right? Like they, right. they have a capital yes. city, Anchorage, but <laughs> everything that had been sent to Anchorage was just stuck there. So this organizer was figured, had figured out how to get supplies f to another town. Like we could mail it to this town called Cal to like Calista and uh -huh. a jet would fly it into the villages. It was this crazy level of um, organizing I'd never experienced before. Right. And, and there was a, there's like a refrain that, that, um, that you say throughout. Um, I think it was, is this... when, is America, a banana Republic disguised as a democracy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's moments where I was just sort of looking at the scarcity. I, I mean, I really felt like I was, it was like some weird word of the fly situation. Yeah. And because I had demonstrated some sense of leadership, I started a Facebook group. Everyone began to turn to me to help 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 and 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 some of the situations we witnessed like there, there's a host, a major hospital in los angeles that yes, <laughs> was delivering yes. masks and they were all broken they were delivering masks from oh. the federal government but they were so yeah. old i guess that the elastic yeah. brittle and falling off their faces and i had just bought out um like a store in the garment district of its elastic yeah. and yet i wasn't allowed to go like i offered to fix the masks but so many masks were getting stolen from hospitals that were yeah. broken masks were getting stolen and resold on the black market that they were like, we can't. Oh my God. Anyone else is not you on the, near these masks. And I'm like, but I just gave you elastic for free. What? Yes. <laughs> what is this? Like, is, and so the, basically these broken masks and the elastic went into a, a locked room with an armed guard, which feels so like, where are we? Yeah. Again, the <laughs> banana Republic or yeah. the American democracy. Um, yeah, I mean, my my family's from Haiti, so I I get it. Like, you know, you um, there's not really a police, uh, 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 you know, system. There's not really a government right now. Mm -hmm. um, so people do have to do for themselves, and yeah. so. Yeah. And and that's uh, and that's something that that is, was especially happening in the early stages of the pandemic. Where like Trump well, is even saying, now. and mean, now and now January sixth, like that to me was yes. when it, we were in a second spike. Literally, had people just like 
and now, even now, uh, we have people who are Congress people, Republican Congress people who, who are like, it was just a bunch of tourists who were, yes. so they were just gaslighting. Yeah. I'm just like, uh, please, please don't do this where you try to convince me this didn't happen. And then yeah. like all these people who work as security people weren't committing suicide because it was so traumatizing. Right. They witness it, it's so, it's so bonkers. And and that is what, you know, I felt like we got to see from the lens of being this like guerrilla army of aunties sewing masks yeah. and basically all the communities. It originally started with us sewing for hospitals and anyone, right? Mm-hmm. But very quickly we were like, well, if these are the people who can find us on Facebook, who are the people who cannot? The farm workers, the, the people who live in rural indigenous areas, mm-hmm. the people at board on the, you know, who are approaching the border asking for asylum. Um, incarcerated communities, sex workers, wellness, you know, like there's so many communities. And so we very quickly started to pivot and actively create systems to, to figure out how to find these communities and figure mm-hmm. out who's organizing on them. Because you can't just mail a bunch of stuff to the Navajo Nation and think, oh, okay, this person's going to just, in a pandemic, knock on everybody's door and make yeah, sure exactly. you have to figure out what are the systems in place? What are the mutual aid systems on the, in these communities that are going to get things to everybody? So wow. it was it was so intense and, and, uh, I definitely didn't do it alone. I, um, I'm very fortunate. We had a team of super aunties, which is about 10 aunties that did a lot of this organizing work. And, um, one of them, my, my, <laughs> my acquaintance now, very good friend, Auntie Laura Carlin, she, she was nursing her newborn baby and she, she, she was running a dance company in the pandemic, you know? Wow. But she was also, you know, she's nursing her newborn, but also making phone calls to farm work organizations. And that's the kind of love and commitment that that I witnessed and that kind of kept me going is, is seeing a certain generosity I'd never witnessed before in my life and, and feeling like I had a family. Like I didn't feel lonely the whole mm-hmm. pandemic. In fact, mm-hmm. I was sort of like, I wish there was one day where no one would show up at my door so I could just relax. Yeah. <laughs> it just felt like a constant alarm going off on my phone screaming for help. Um, uh, but, but, you know, what got me through it is, is, is the aunties and the system of care. Cause I, I realized very quickly, we're not going to be able to sustain ourselves if we just keep giving and giving, cause we're, we're not immune from this virus either. And I think yeah. I, I felt that people, some people just don't understand how difficult sewing is because they're used to clicking two buttons on Amazon and then something shows up at your door. And that's not what we are you know, and, and so much of it was like trying to teach people how to respect work that has historically been, you know, performed by Asian women around the globe. Yeah. And, uh, and, and anyway, and, and, and so we're having those systems of care and, and learning to figure out how to celebrate each other and our labor in this time was really a lifeline for a lot of the aunties. And so I think we're forever bonded. Um, in this experience. Wow. Okay. So um, (laughs) this is, this is all incredible. um, Because like the way you're, you're talking also, it's as if like, um, you've processed a lot of, a lot of this stuff, like this is all happening in real time. (laughs) You're making a half a million masks, but at the same time, you're a playwright. You're always, you're always writing and creating. So you know, your, your show is the first show that, um, New York theater workshop has produced since the start of the pandemic. With one live performer, they, um, 
they had a performance right before mine that was a video installation. And I oh, think wow. like, okay, this is low risk if we just put one one live performer on stage. <laughs> wow, wow. Um, so, so you, you know, you're putting on the show, but then at the same time, you're you're making masks, you're, you're coordinating, you're, you're working with hundreds of people, um, to, to help others. Um, and then you're writing too, at the same time. So can you, can you talk about like the process of like putting on the show at the same time, you know, being this sweatshop overlord? Yeah. I developed the show over zoom. And originally I remember when I started like furiously, it was a span of 10 days where it went from, Hey, who wants a mask to like, Oh my God, I'm running and a weird unpaid empire right now. Yeah. It moved so quickly and continued to move. And, and, um, uh, people were like, you could do a show about this. And I was like, no one wants to watch a show about the pandemic. And you'll see among creatives, there's like this, people will have huge responses about whether or not they want to write about this time. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, a lot of TV writers talk about it all the time. Yeah, yes. they, they would rather just pretend it didn't happen, Yeah, <laughs> or, you know, and uh, because it's so painful. Like who wants to, who wants to relive this? And also we all lived through this. So it's like, why would we want to hear one person's experience over another person's experience? Mm -hmm. Um, but for me, I felt like one is I wanted to make clear, like how hard this work was. And I, it hit me how Asian people were, Asian Americans were like the face of um, the virus, like they were really targeted with, with hate. And, and I, and I'm looking at Asian Americans in this moment, and I'm seeing we're the ones who are trying to protect everyone as well. And I, and I just felt like, like, I want history to remember us as this is not just hate crime victims and, you know, evil Chinese people who are diseased and bring stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so for me, I, I think that's why I was like, I need to report on this. And my friend, um, who's also an auntie, auntie Leilani, She's the one who I describe in the show as cutting up her hula costumes. Yes. Turning them into masks. It's really emotional and beautiful, some of these fabric stories. Because uh, but anyway, she she runs a theater company called Tieta Productions. And and she's like, Well, we're pivoting to the internet. And I was like, and she's like, I want to invite you to do something in our creative lab on Zoom. And I'm like, this sounds like a terrible idea. I have to run this group. She's like, No, Christina, you're gonna be an artist. So this is literally like one month into our group existing. And I basically just sort of- was This is like April, let, let's say like April, 2020. Yes, this is April, 2020. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm literally like running around the house and there's a slide that goes day four, day 15. And I'm just little slices of life of like how fast it was escalating, yeah. how stressful it was. And there was no real plot, but that, you know, because what is the plot of a pandemic? <laughs> And it's still happening. It's still going. And we're still in it. Yeah. But but just some of the details were so were so rich and and insane. And and I I think I think for me, I I for the most part, I started this project of sewing masks feeling very patriotic and feeling this was the most nonpartisan thing I've ever done. Yeah. And by the end, it be like who knew masks was masks were going to become this crazy politicized, polarized thing right yeah. that, that people be screaming at, at school board meetings no my child doesn't need to wear a mask like mm-hmm. so crazy right but, <laughs> to me it was just very clear science that that you put something across your face it'll keep viruses from coming in and out like right. duh right but um but you know lo and behold like that 
quickly becomes the shift and but also like just 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 realizing just as americans we are so removed from manufacturing we're so removed from the makers of the you know 99% of the stuff in our homes whether it's our food mm. our electronics or you know yeah. who builds our things but especially who sews our clothing that that we have you know i it became very clear like the most valuable people in that moment were not people who made seven figures as creative directors of whatever but but people who use a fucking sewing machine were the yeah. most useful people and i just felt like that was stuff i wanted to report on and and basically i would keep getting invitations to present it across the pandemic and i would just keep extending the show to where we were in the pandemic so i uh, had several chances to do it and um and the, the aunties would tune in and it was sort of my way of bonding with them and meeting them you know in the post-show chat and i would have them change their name to auntie so-and-so in zoom and they would just chat up the audience uh -huh. while i performed and they would turn their videos on for the q a and i think it was just sort of like a fun way for me to for me to kind of keep them stimulated at their celebrity through these little shows right yeah and um uh and so the last show was may 2021 new york theater workshop presented it as part of their virtual season mm -hmm. And then, um, uh, uh, and then invited me to open the season in the fall. And I was so shocked because I'm like, wait, this went from me sewing a few masks and now I'm off Broadway living in New York for two months. <laughs> yeah. And it's also a book too. It's also a book. We had a book in between. This it's is incredible. incredible. Yeah, we, it was crazy because in the beginning of this, we were maybe not one of the most prolific or most organized groups, but I will I I will say we we ended up running the longest because because we found such a community, and 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 that for many of the aunties was how they survived and and, and felt not isolated. But yes, we have a book called the Auntie Sewing Squad Guide to Mask Making, Radical Care, and Racial Justice, um, and a lot of what we described that we do is radical care like what does it mean to like at first it was sort of like oh yeah all health matters you cover one person you protect in theory a lot of people but it became very clear that this virus was going to disproportionately hit communities of color mm -hmm. hit hit indigenous communities like navajo nation had 10 times the infections of nearby states yeah um so we needed to figure out where to distribute our finite time and it was into, into these communities and and so um but we had we have the the youngest contributor of the book is eight is eight years old she's now 10 because we've wow been long. yeah um <laughs> because we had we had child labor we had like yeah. <laughs> i love that part so much happening there was so much we had we had we had child labor camps which started as, as a joke <laughs> He just like jokingly posting like if your kids have nothing to do because summer school's canceled they can have learn to sew. sew yeah and all these parents are like please please this is real please i need something for my kid to do and i'm like wait what and so we created a child labor or we called it kids mask summer sewing camp it was a child of course labor camp you know? yeah <laughs> <laughs> we had a san francisco state taught taught us as a class uh, we were, you know, we were being studied by scholars. Uh, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be on PBS with Rebecca Solnit. Yeah, uh, that's it. Right awesome. This. So yes, crazy. this is amazing. It's, 
and it's all happening like it, it was all happening simultaneously um, no yeah my life was I don't want to relive this ever again like the, the sort of like the 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 weird terrible silver the silver lining of this terrible terrible time was was getting to, sh to see everyone in person on stage and do the show off Broadway and get used to a live audience again and share this and and have that experience of performing off Broadway which I've never had before but I would never want to relive this ever again and certainly like I never went into this going maybe this will be great for my career like no I thought we were all going to die and yeah. and I, I I still kind of you know feel <laughs> as Omicron as Omicron looms large it could happen it yeah. could happen and I, uh -huh. I only I have to find humor in this because that's how we survive and as aunties we have a lot of sick and sick gallows humor that we survive on and you know they call me sweatshop overlord because it was like this terrible joke at the top of this uh the creation of ass i was like oh my god all the <laughs> why are we all asian we're now and we're not even just sewing for low wages we're sewing for free oh god i'm running a sweatshop i'm a sweatshop overlord and so that became this nickname that all the aunties call me you know um and it's, you know, the name of the show. It was like this, like, I never run a garment. I, I can, you know, I'm, I'm, I can sew, but I'm not that good. You would, I'd probably get fired if I had to sew for survival. But um, you kind of uh, did sew for survival. Yeah, we, here we are. Yeah. But, but talk about. <laughs> but we did um, sew for survival. And, yeah. yeah. So, sure, go ahead. you know, I want to talk about your, the set design. I loved the, the felt pieces. Um, there was like the masks as a brick background, um, just incredible details to bring out the story. Um, there was a retirement quilt at the end that the aunties made for you, which was also yes. incredible and very touching to see. Um, you know, it's, it, and, and it all, all of the set pieces, um, help to 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 create the story and you're interacting with with the so did you sew these pieces too no like what so what had the design I, come about I normally sew my own sets and props and so mm -hmm. working an equity contract is a totally new thing for me there are so many you think a solo show oh solo show that's not going to need that much there were like 20 people at tech I couldn't even believe someone got me dressed every show uh stage manager had an assistant uh Che Yu the director had an assistant had yeah. David Wong not offered his student who needed an internship I would be, have been the only one without an assistant um so uh so so uh Georgia Georgia Lee was the um set designer and we mm -hmm. had a lot of meetings and what was crazy is I didn't really have a complete script by the time we so so we're trying to you know design abstract multi-purpose props that kind of are, are the aesthetic of me um and I was like I feel like it's enlarged sewing things I don't know yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I feel like we can't have something too literal that we're staring at like we went we went through many drawings and I really wanted also Georgia to do her magic um but uh, yeah, she 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 developed and designed these amazing things that were fabricated by fabricators, which is another thing I'm not used to. Is that designers actually don't touch anything; they have all these assistants <laughs> to, to make things. Uh -huh. um, uh, but we have these giant pin cushions that are yeah. like ottomans that I can sit on. There's a giant spool of thread, giant seam ripper, giant scissors. These are all. Uh, I think I I really like them because it's it's very like Alice in Wonderland-y and and if you did look at my 
living room. It was just like a constant moving warehouse of sewing supplies that were coming in and out mm-hmm. of the house, giant, like uh, double-sized um, fabric rolls that were like twice as long as they normally are. Um, and I love that as a, as a sweatshop overlord, you also had like this kind of like Rambo costume yeah. too. So, <laughs> but the costume are all like spools of, of, yes. of uh, thread. thread. Yeah. So I, yeah. Instead of I, bullets. It was crazy because I was, I just kept feeling like we were in an army the whole time. So Linda Cho, um, she, she took a cue off of uh, a press photo that I had taken months before. Cause I was like, I should take better pictures because this, this headshots from the pre-pandemic times don't really tell the story <laughs> of my show. And, and uh, I, I was like, I feel like I was like, we were like superheroes, but with sewing yeah. supplies. And, and so I think she really ran with, with that and, and um and design this thing that I could crawl with, I could kick on my back with, because what I had made in my photo press photos, uh, which is a lot more sexier. In fact, it's my hinge photo. It's so sexy. Because <laughs> <laughs> so you're, like. you're wearing leather. You're wearing, uh, yeah, like, wearing like yeah. leather. Oh. leather. And I have my hair done. But you know, yeah. the reality, I was like in my pajamas, running around. <laughs> screaming but yeah it's it is a very rambo look and it was very army-esque and and we and and i watched a lot of um uh military movies to kind of get the sort of like the tone of of you know what a you know it's not just constant fighting and screaming for two hours when you watch army movies like there are moments where the soldiers bond with each other or where they have moments of regret or they don't know why they went to war and and Mm -hmm. so i was trying to like take those tropes into my writing this story for the stage and I don't I don't know if you noticed it Colette but that's yeah (laughs) that's what I was trying to revisit as I as I rewrote it for the stage because zoom it was just a lot of screaming like this is happening this is happening this is happening but you know I knew once we got to the stage it had to had to thread through some themes more yeah okay so um so threading through themes, I, I love the sewing, um, sewing metaphor, uh, metaphor yeah. yes. Um, but what uh, I really want to know about is like your writing process, because so like um, you had this, uh, you know, Zoom show, then you had um, now you have this uh, off Broadway show. Um, and the, with the set pieces, did you wait until the set pieces were planned and 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 designed before you had like a full draft of, of no, what we, we all just, see on, I, on the it stage? Was very, no, it was very abstract. Like I was like, I think it would be useful to have a giant thing that maybe I stand on or sit mm-hmm. on. Um, and that would be the pincushion, right? I would think, but some of the props would show up as we were writing them in, like the, uh, the pandemic award because mm-hmm. one thing I had imagined at the top of this when I thought oh this will be just three weeks this will be really great we will fix this uh people will go oh you were such a hero and that'll be fun and the funny thing is I am being honored and getting these awards but it's like I really like a hero at this point I realize is someone who just does the work that no one else wants to do but for free and <laughs> But anyway, so so we have this like these sort of props would sort of show up in the process of rehearsal. But we were doing a lot of editing in the rehearsal. I had tons of pages, mm-hmm. um, and if you if you follow my personal page on Facebook and you dig all the way into September, I would basically lock myself at my co working space for about twelve hours and just turn the camera on myself and just write and write and write. And that was also kind of tripping me out because sometimes when I write things on page. It, it's just easier if I just rehearse it and rehearse it and my mouth and my oh, gut wow. makes the edits. 
Like so you becomes, so you kind of like write out loud. You talk as you're writing. It, no, but that's actually yes, that's actually the better way to work. But sometimes I don't have the privilege of having someone in the room. But um, but I did have a lot of like the bones of the show from working it out on Zoom. And Zoom, I did not work with a director. Um, and I felt actually very free uh writing on Zoom because it was so low pressure. It was like, well, mm-hmm. what else are you gonna watch? Um, this is a shitty time you know, like this is probably the best. I think anyone who tries on the zoom, it's, it's like you, you can pass the class. Right. You know, and cause it was like this new format that, that as stage actors, we were like, wait, what? And I'm, yeah. <laughs> I can do my own backdrops and my house is the backdrop. And, and so, uh, so I actually felt very free to, to write on zoom. But once I was like tasked with, oh, you're going to be off Broadway and reviewers will be there. I really clammed up and I had a very difficult time. Um, just, I, yeah, I just had a really hard time trying to figure out how I'm going to create this thing. Um, so uh, uh, I just spent a lot of time overwriting and <laughs> cause it was just hard to reimagine like audience reactions and people and what do I do with them? They're going to be staring at me. They're not like half doing their dishes, half watching me on zoom. Um, but yeah, that was the process. It was, I, I literally had hundreds of pages, uh, New York theater workshop has a residency for playwrights, uh, which was a smaller residency because of COVID, uh, where they, I was there for a week workshopping the script. I only really got through like the first act and it was a, an hour and a half. So, you know, it was a lot of cutting that had to happen and a lot of dramaturgical support from Che and Aaron Malkin, mm-hmm. who's the, the resident dramaturg at, at New York Theater Workshop in terms of like, okay, producing a timeline of what really happened in the pandemic, at least historical events and, and kind of thinking like, what have we heard already twice and what can we cut? And that was a lot that was happening was, I had to cut a lot of precious babies out because, either it was sort of already <laughs> articulated or so will it be for like yeah. um sweatshop overlord part two no the pata- the no. pandemic continues my recycling bin my recycling bin that's where you go or like q a's of it sometimes i'll bring up some of the stories that were cut or in conversation i'll be like oh yeah and some of the aunties have shown up to the show in new york and they're like you didn't talk about this and i'm like show is already running 90 minutes. I didn't know where to squeeze it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very long pandemic to squeeze in a 90 minutes. And that's very long for a solo show, but that was as short as we could get it. Yeah. Because even though it's, uh, it's like a 2020 show, it, it bleeds into 2021 because oh, yeah. the pandemic is still going on. There's just, there's so much to, to tackle. There's so much to process, which is so incredible about the show is that in a lot of ways you you've digested a lot of a lot of um, what has happened to us and yeah. you've been able to present a show that's cohesive and, and that, and that's, you know, riveting to watch. Um, but it, but it's all hap- It's all happening. Like when We're people say it. like, We're it's all happening. It. Um, so, you know, what I, what I want to know, um, like um, you got your mom involved, which yeah. is so incredible. <laughs> and, and your mom was someone that was kind of like, don't do this. Like, what are you doing yeah. this for? No, she, and she's very much on the side of panicking in times of crisis. And, and, um, and I'm glad that I turned her on to sewing because uh, in this group, because she would have just watched the news and freaked herself out. Uh, but this gave her something to do, something to focus on. I mean, she gets mad at me. She's like, I wasn't able to follow the stock market because I was so busy sewing and I could have bought some stocks 
you know, <laughs> which I did. I bought like three shares of Zoom, which is all I could afford yeah. at the top of the pandemic. And I made a, like, smart. a few hundred bucks, but anyway, I didn't make a lot of money, but yeah. Anyway, but, uh, and then I went back to sewing. Um, but she, <laughs> she, um, yeah, I, I just needed, I desperately needed help. And, and it plays out very much like it does in the show where she calls me and she's like, what are, you better stay inside. What are you doing? You know, this, this, this sewing business, you better stop this. You know, you better just stay inside and do nothing. And, and I just was like, how, I can't just sit here and do nothing. Like yeah. when people are, are begging me to help them, you know, and, and no one begs me to like, please perform for us, please, please, Christina, we need your satirical commentary. But here was a moment where the, for the first time I was like, oh, is this what it's like to feel essential? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm so proud of her. And then she recruited all her friends to, to help. And, and one of her friends, Auntie Gary Ann, like, um, is part of this Chinese, this longtime Chinese American service club in the East Bay called uh, the Wasung Community Service Club. And they honored us at, this is why I'm in San Francisco right now, is they, mm -hmm. they honored us at their dinner on Saturday. Wow. And a bunch of the aunties came to this Chinese banquet. And it was, um, yeah, it just felt like it, it, it's very much like this source of pride. And it became a way for me to talk to her about the things I care about politically, because she doesn't consider herself political at all. Mm -hmm. And if anything, just tries to avoid all conversations around politics and, and having an opinion and not being offensive. But like, you know, it, it makes sense on a very basic level. Oh, someone needs a mask. You can make them a mask, right? Uh, but then digging deeper into some of these communities that why are they getting hit so hard becomes a great space for the aunties to, to think about the, the, the legacy of, of 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 uh white supremacy and yeah. and um systemic violence and stuff like that and so even within our sewing group we had little outspurt groups we had like a, a white ally group that met on their own mm -hmm. to like talk out their shit and then we had like an anti-racism book club that would like meet and talk about like alicia garza's book and other books and I, it was yeah it was really like we're a sewing group we're the crazy so Knowing group. <laughs> yeah, so like the family tree of ass yeah. um, sprang forth like all of these other branches. Yes. Yeah. And then we had a book come out. Now this book, um, I uh there'll be just, you know, there'll be book launches in different cities and towns that will follow discussions around this and and what solidarity looks like. And I, you know, for me, it was the first time I could really express solidarity with communities in this way that wasn't just retweeting, it wasn't just throwing money at an organization that wasn't just going on the street, you know, and that's not a just thing, but you know, like yeah. that's, that's how I was familiar with being supportive was going to the street, marching and then go home and then, you know, and then try to enact it in my life. But this felt like a very palpable way to show support uh, to other communities and show racial solidarity. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and it was a way to engage these aunties who, uh, who, who aren't people who march or protest or, you know, familiar, like to, to get them to participate. I'm so proud of my mother. She was so yeah. into prisons and BLM events. And it was like, wow, this is my mom. This is nuts. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> cool. And yeah. And it's like, she, she wasn't, she was, she's your mom, but she also, became your comrade in that sense. Like she, yeah. like you were- She got to also witness me be a leader, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like there's so much that I, I, I feel like I can't engage her with, but for, you know, and I, I've always wanted 
to have one of those moms, like my friend Atsuko is able to get her grandmother and mother to be part of her shows. My mother is not that. I, I, I follow her. I, yeah. love, I love, I love her, her, um, dancing videos with her. I, grandma. Like, How do you I love her. her? Yeah. I did not get my mom on board with that, but, um, but this is something I could get her on board with, you know, was, was sewing and, and at least participating like that. So this is amazing. So, I mean, I, I, I could talk to you forever. You're incredible person, um, incredible playwright. Go see um, oh, Christina Wong, uh, Sweatshop Overlord. Can we play a very quick game? Sure, let's let's play. Okay. So I would love to play guess that ass with you. Okay. <laughs> so these are recent, <laughs> these are recent people magazine headlines. I want you to guess who the celebrity oh. is. It's not necessarily about asses like butts. Um, it, it could also be about like dumbass behavior. So I'd be, I'd be better identifying aunties, but yeah, let's see. I'm, <laughs> pop culture. I, I'm so tuned out. Like I haven't watched squid game. Like I've been so embroiled in my, show and stuff but let's see but you've been like living squid game with, the, with <laughs> know. you know mask making uh playwriting putting on a, a massive show um so so first question is blank and blank stripped down to their underwear for calvin klein instagram live <sighs> i don't know a kardashian and a kardashian um close uh is, so is, is kylie and and or kendall and Chloe in the family tree of uh Kardashian it's uh it's Pete Davidson and Machine oh. Gun Kelly they did oh. a takeover of Instagram's uh in um of Calvin Klein's Instagram account um and uh in the article the people article they use the word cheeky like 10 yeah. billion times and uh you know they they struck some cheeky poses including a central back-to-back -back position and side-by-side -side moment this world is run by, by publicists. It's so annoying. Like all these. <laughs> I know. Ugh, okay. Next question. Anyway. <laughs> Indiana pastor allegedly relieved of pastoral duties for appearing in drag on blank. Like on what show? An Indiana pastor. Is it Joel Olstein? Is it no, a, oh my god. I, I'm trying to name what pastor do I know? I don't know any pastor. Well, well, not the not the pastor, but what, pastor? what what oh. show? What show did he appear on and, and then he lost like a, his job? Like RuPaul? As, like, related to RuPaul, it's a um HBO Emmy oh, nominated oh. docuseries. <sighs> yeah. So it's Bob know. the Drag Queen, Electra, and uh, uh Shangela. Ah. I don't know. I don't know. Oh my God. But you tell me where to, you, you asked me the going price for elastic. I will tell you that. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, so the show is we're here. Um, pastor Craig Duke, he delivered a sermon while wearing a tall pink wig, four inch heels. He lip synced to Kesha's We Are Who We Are for the show. Um, he's been praised for um, demonstrating progressive and accepting attitudes towards queer and non-binary people, including his pansexual daughter. Uh, and so because of his participation in the show, which is 
you know, it's bullshit. He was, he was let go from his job. So those are, those are the assholes, the people that let him go of his, his duties. Next question. Okay. <laughs> We're no. just speeding through, <laughs> speeding through so you can get to this PBS okay. interview. <laughs> Blank says Barbara Walters interview with her as a teen was practically criminal. Barbara Walters. I know Barbara Walters is, and I'm trying to think. And I, I watched Barry her movie. Moore? Was it a, oh, oh, this person has a movie. No, but well, yeah, she does had a, a movie just come out. And I, I watched it as a palate cleanser when I, after I, I saw your, oh, your oh, oh, brilliant oh. show. Well, Christy um, Brinkley or some model. Close. Her, Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Brooke Shields was 15 when she was asked oh, a series of intimate and invasive questions about her sexual history by Barbara Walters what? in response to her Calvin Klein ad. So going back to Calvin Klein again. Well, that was Return to the Blue Lagoon movie. I was like, this is like kitty porn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she, she was about that age. Um, yeah. Ooh. Um, so, okay, next question. Blank reveals the personal items he's bringing to space on Blue Origin flight. Oh, oh Michael um, Strachan from Yes, <laughs> yes, Michael Strahan. Yes, Michael Strahan. He's not the ass, more like Jeff Bezos is the Ugh. ass, but like, um, so no disrespect to Michael Strahan. Yes, he's packing for Blue Origin's third human flight into space, which takes off December 9th. Oh, yeah, um, they're gonna do it. Yeah, I see now. I'm in San Francisco. I'm watching local news. I'm like, oh no wonder my mother's so paranoid. Local news, just <laughs> so yeah. bad. But but yes, that's a good thing. He's going into space. Yeah, he's going yeah. into space. But like, space. yeah, but yeah, for Bezos, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. I used you know that, that section of the show where I'm like, we're I was basically helping uh, a government agency here in the Bay Area get hand sanitizer from us um uh and that was like around the same week Bezos sent his dumb ship in the space I'm like this is so ridiculous that I'm like literally yanking hand sanitizer out of our food bank in LA putting it in this employee's son's car you know packing it to the gills to get, go up to the bay area right like when what? this access clearly exists Right, right. When he, it's just like a drop in the bucket for him to to pay yeah. for for something like that to to yeah. you know help his community. Jeff Bezos, help your help your help your world, help your yeah. community. Anyway, next question. Um, Tasha Adams, I think I'm pronouncing it right. This I follow. Yes, this I follow. Okay, I follow the Bachelor. Yes. She walks off uh -oh. after talking about blank. Split. Her break up with Zach. Her yes. Break with Zach. Yes. Yes. So I just watched that. I just watched. I was. I'm in the middle of watching that. And after my PBS interview, I'm going to go back to the the men tell all. Oh yes. shit! Yes. So, <laughs> so yeah, Zach Clark, Tasha Adams. Oh. She opened up about being heartbroken after her split. So that's the ass is uh, Zach Clark, um, her fiance uh, during Bachelorette's Men Tell All special. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. Oh, Poor Tasha. That was such a good proposal, too. Even though that was that, that ridiculous season where it was at the La Palma resort and, huh? and like they like there was no hometowns. There's no like it was so in quarantine. And so they had to like their Rona Zach's hometown was like poor art department had to build like a cardboard taxi. Oh my so god. He, so he could show her like this is what New York is like. Like it was so 
it was so like how to make a reality show on $50. OMG. I mean, you know, it's like a fraction of Michelle Young's, you know, season budget. Yeah. Everybody around. Wow. But it's like very trippy. Yeah. Like, let's get in my cardboard taxi, baby. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you, I'm going to take you, see, show you some places. Oh my God. Okay. So my last question is okay. what's, what's making you happy these days? My cat happy. My cat's name is happy. I adopted him in March. He's so, I missed him while I was in New York the whole time. I would like literally be in bed exhausted from the show just looking at photos of him he's so cute he has a masturbation problem he was fixed, oh. like he was like picked up from the street um he has fiv he has herpes uh oh. he probably has kittens all over la oh and he he like mounted my leg when i came home and just got back to business oh and, uh, but so cute so <laughs> mean. um what does he look like he's orange uh, oh ginger People, yeah, he's a ginger cat. People, he has freckles on his nose that go from small to big. Um, he makes these little chirpy sounds. He's he's very chunky. He, he looks fatter in photos. He photographs kind of big, uh-huh. but he's just very stout and has a very stout face. And, um, but when I pick him up, he like immediately stomach to stomach, like turns, puts his paws on me and and I, I, I actually saw him in a, on a rescue site and he was like this cat that everyone on next door would ask about and check in on. And like, has anyone seen my favorite neighborhood cat? And, and, and a trap and neuter uh, place, Lux Paws finally trapped him. And mm-hmm. he, he was just so like gentle. They were able to just pick him up as opposed to like wrangle him. And so they oh. made him available for adoption. Lux and, Paws, uh, so like L-U-X-E, Paws, P-A-W-S, okay. They specifically trap and and fix um, stray cats in the street, and if they're tame enough, then you can um, adopt them. So, yeah, I just his like his nickname was Jack. He looked like a mess. Like his eyes were like leaking, and and I was like, I'm gonna adopt that cat, and he's happy because he looks so cranky. And uh, but I love him, and he he makes me very happy. And the aunties also bring me a lot of joy. So I I feel very blessed to to have come out of the pandemic. Like I would never want to do that again, but um, I feel like a lot of us don't know what we got out of this moment. And it's, you know, that's not, I, I don't necessarily think that terrible things happen so that we get things out of them, but I, I at least got to witness humanity and it's wow. most generous. Wow. Well, yeah. you know, thank you to you, to, to the aunties for, for all that you do, for all that you've done. Um, this is so amazing. How can people find you? The Auntie Sewing Squad, uh, we have a website, auntiesewingsquad.com, and it's A-U-N-T-I-E. Uh, and then my name is spelled with a K, christinawong.com. And you can follow us, and you can also, until December 14th, watch the live stream of Christina Wong's Sweatshop Overlord. Yes, go see it. It's amazing. Um, so again, this is great. Thank you so much, Christina. Um, we'll see you next week. I'm Yummy Coco. Keep your lamplight trimmed and burning. Bye.